If you're new this morning, uh, very, very warm welcome. My name is Zach. Um, I'm the trainee minister here, as Peter said earlier. Uh, our um, full minister uh, is away on holiday. Um, and we've been looking through as uh, Ten Commandments, um, uh, which appear in Exodus chapter 20. And this morning we reached the fifth commandment. We reached this morning the uh, fifth commandment, uh, but we're not going to read it from Exodus chapter 20, uh, unlike what your service sheet says. We're going to read it from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 5. So you want to turn a couple of books forward to Deuteronomy chapter 5, where Moses uh, is repeating the Ten Commandments of the next generation of Israelites. The same commands... Um, but in Deuteronomy, we're doing that because I'm going to read a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6, chapter 6 in a minute. But as we come uh, to God's word, uh, let me pray for us. Our Father in heaven, I pray that your uh, spirit would come to us uh, and speak to us this morning through your words. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts uh, be pleasing in your sight, we pray. In Jesus' name, and for his glory, amen. Amen. So, Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, verse uh, 16. This is the fifth commandment. Honour your father and your mother, as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That's the fifth commandment. Now, look over to chapter 6, uh, beginning at verse 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules of the Lord of God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord of God, you and your son and your son's son, uh, by keeping all his statutes and all his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God of all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Fifth commandment, honour your father and mother. Raise your hand for me if you have or have had uh, parents. Raise your hand if you've had or had. That's all of us. And keep them raised. No, raise your hands. Keep them raised if your relationship with your parents uh, is perfect. All the hands go down. This is a commandment as we come to it, uh, which addresses and applies uh, to all of us. Uh, none of us just popped into existence. And we could easily treat it as a commandment that just applies to children. There's a commandment for children. No, it's a commandment for all of us. Remember, the Ten Commandments are actually given to adults first. Uh, before they're given to children. Uh, if you know uh, the proverb, uh, treading where angels uh, fear to tread, I feel a little like that this morning, treading where angels fear to tread. I'll be speaking and preaching largely on the family, and I know for many of us that is a deeply uh, personal matter. 
a very delicate matter. And a matter that in 25 minutes uh, is impossible, to, impossible for me to address uh, all the different uh, caveats and nature of your particular uh, circumstances. Uh, but I pray that what I do say is uh, broad enough and uh, deep enough uh, to give you uh, some direction. And it's important that we think deeply about our families because when God rescues his people back in Exodus 20 and commands them, uh, he makes the family absolutely foundational to life going forward. And we see that uh, in the fifth commandment. So that's my first point this morning. God makes the family foundational. Uh, two things to notice about his command in particular as it appears uh, to us. First, it's place. Uh, traditionally, in the scriptures, um, we recognise the Ten Commandments has two tables. Uh, the first, Commandments 1 to 4, all about uh, commands addressing God, how we are to relate to him. And uh, the second table, Commands 5 through to 10, are uh, about our neighbour, uh, how we are to relate uh, to our neighbour. Jesus uh, famously summarised it as, as love your God and love your neighbour as yourself. And it's noteworthy that as we turn to the second table of the law about our neighbours, placed at the top and heading the list is honour your father and your mother before you shall, not commit a, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal and so on. Honour your father and mother. It's as if when it comes to living rightly in the world we live in, our family is foundational. Second reason Second thing to notice about this commandment uh, is its promise. Uh, do you see it? Uh, in verse 16, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you uh, in the land. Now, it's, not a, it's not a mass formula. As if you uh, obey your parents 10 times, you get a year of life, or you obey them 70% perfectly, uh, you live to your 50. No, it's saying rather, this is the path of blessing. This is the path of flourishing. It's interesting when you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and you get the same language, but this time applied to all of God's commands. Verse 2, uh, that, you're, that you're, you and your son and your son's son may fear the Lord by keeping all his statutes and all his commandments, which I command you, all the days of your life, so that what? That your days may be long. So there it's applied to all of God's commandments, but when we, when we, when we look at the Ten Commandments, it's just applied to honour your father and mother. That's interesting, isn't it? makes you think there must be a sense in which God is saying to us the family is foundational for our good and for our flourishing. And actually obedience to them and honouring them is what leads uh, to keeping his other commands. It's foundational so much so that if you turn uh, further on in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 18, uh, where God speaks of the stubborn and the rebellious son, the son that does, does not honour, uh, openly does not honour, his parents or her parents. God says, stone him and purge the evil from among you. This will be destructive to society and to your way of life. Now, this is a very serious command because God knows our flourishing and our good depends on it. And hopefully for the rest of the sermon this morning, you'll see something of why that is. And we must begin by asking... Who are our parents that we should honour them? Why are they foundational? On a simple level, they are ultimately a gift from God uh, to you. Uh, I was going to ask the children, there's only one child, so it's a little bit unfair on him. Um, but you think of the best gift you've ever uh, received. 
Your, your parents, Johnny, your fiele, your best, go on, tell me what your best gift, how you've ever received it. When your teeth came out, you get a coin under your pillow. Yes, one of the, but let me say to all of us, one of the best gifts God has ever given you uh, is your parents. He's given you two people who are strongly bonded to you, who love you, who have a deep desire to do you good and give you the best in life. Now, I know as you'll come to it, that our parents are deeply flawed and they make mistakes and they don't always get it right. And we'll come to that later on. But let me put it this way, uh, if you're sitting here this morning, if you are alive today, you have your parents to thank. Uh, They fed you. They kept you from drowning when you were one in the bathtub. Uh, They took you to the doctor uh, when you were ill. They made sure you got adequate uh, sleep to protect you from danger, and so forth and so on. You are alive today because of them. And the cost of them, uh, I'm sure, is immeasurable. An immeasurable amount of time and energy, and money, and tears, and sweat. And for that reason alone, as that gift given to you, it is right, okay, morally right, that you should honour them. I'll come to you what honouring looks like in a minute. Uh, but whoever your parents are, even if you've had a, a terrible time with your parents, hopefully I'll address that in a second, but if you've had a terrible time, that they've done one thing for you at least, I'm sure many more, they've given you life. You are alive, you exist because of them. They're a gift to you, but moving forwards, they're a gift that God has, God has given to them, sorry, authority uh, over you. They're, they're the first and primary people that God gives authority to in your life. And God delegates lots of authority to lots of different places, so to the, to the church, for instance, to the, to the state. And there's a sense in which this command does apply to those areas. We should, we should honour our governments and we should honour uh, the elders uh, in our church in particular. Um, uh, but there is, as well, a first and primary sense. And uh, the first encounter of authority that you have as a person uh, is with your parents. Uh, sense, there's a sense in which the figures of your parents, uh, all the other spheres of authority that you ever meet, are uh, rolled into one. You are um, uh, under them. They're the first people to discipline you. Uh, They're the first people to teach you right uh, from wrong, to spiritually lead you and shape you, to make you wise. They're given to you with authority to do you good and to make you actually into who God wants you to be. And they're also, in a sense, your first neighbours. The first people you know are, are your parents. It is with your parents that you first learn as you go forwards in the commandments what it means to love your neighbour as yourself, both in what they teach you, but also in how you treat them. So honour them. It also, by the way, means if you're a parent here this morning, it is an incredibly serious thing to be a parent. I'm sure you know that. Your children in Scripture are commanded to honour you, and that should not sit lightly with you. This commandment speaks to parents as much as it speaks to children. As you're raising your children, you're raising them to live in a world that will bring to them a flourishing and blessing, to respond rightly to the world they live in, to love their neighbours as themselves, to submit to authority over them. And of course, ultimately, as we'll come to right at the end of the sermon, to love and obey their gods. Even the action of them honouring you 
is preparing you for that. So it's vital we honour our parents. God has given them as a gift for our good to shape us uh, to live in the world rightly. Now, what does it mean to honour? That's what we've been waiting for, isn't it? What does it mean to honour our parents? Um, honour, uh, the word just means basically heavy or weighty. So if you turn to 2 Samuel and meet Absalom, David's son, his hair was weighty or heavy. Same word. Okay, so treat uh, your parents weightily. Treat as weighty what your parents do and say. What does that look like? Well, let me uh, briefly try and give you a few pointers. Let's take uh, three uh, groups, the five-year-olds, the 25-year-olds, and the 50-year-olds. And I'm sure you can find yourself roughly uh, in the right group, uh, where the, however old you are this morning. And there'll be obviously overlap between them as well. Uh, but if you're a child, four, six, four five, six, seven, eight, and so on, uh, obey your parents. That's actually how uh, the New Testament applies this command. Obey uh, your parents. And they tell you to do something, uh, do it. You might not understand why. That's okay. And they know you better. <coughs> they know better than you. And I try to obey them happily. And if you really want to honour them, uh, then thank them as well. Five-year-olds, 25-year-olds. I'm preaching as much to myself uh, as to you uh, in this group. Um, but I do think the strict obedience uh, continues until you effectively uh, leave home, until you come out uh, uh, under, from under the roof of your parents, um, when they're no longer providing your food and your clothing and so on. The strict obedience, but you're still called to honour them, to be respectful to them and be submissive to them. And that is primarily a hard attitude towards them. What they say or what they want I should carry weight with you and leave an impression on what you decide to do. You show submission to them and your demeanour towards them. You listen with respect and you'd be willing, you'd be willing to be taught and rebuked by them. And let me add to that, if you must disagree with them, uh, it must be for good reason and not purely out of selfishness. And you must do it with gentleness, uh, humility, and I think sadness. You come to a place and you think, my, my parents are wrong on this. And uh, you've listened carefully to other people and so on. It must be with a heavy heart you do it. And above all, particularly I think when you're in your 20s, maybe a bit when you're in your 30s as well, do not abandon them. You get fed the idea that when you're in your 20s, you're young and free. Do whatever you like. You still have your parents, most of you. Uh, Honour them by showing how important they are to your life. Pick up the phone uh, every now and then. Visit them and include them in your decisions. Do not abandon them. 50. Age group 50. Uh, imagine your parents are, are very old or perhaps no longer with us. And that, that might be true as well if you're younger as well. Um, if they're very old, I think you'll largely look like caring for them uh, out of gratitude and love uh, for all they've done for you. Uh, of course, the nature of the care will depend on their situation. Uh, physical help, perhaps emotional support, possibly uh, financial help. Uh, there's nothing sadder, is there, than parents uh, who grow old, having poured their lives out into their children, uh, to be uh, abandoned by their children. My sister works uh, for a hospital, and she says she sees it again and again. But old people come in ill, some dying, 
They come and lie in the beds and no one visits them. Well, hear me this morning, don't let that ever be your parents. If they're no longer with us, uh, then honour them and the way you speak about them and the way you present them to others and the way you treat them in your memory. Now, of course, none of these things are easy, are they? I'm sure as I've been speaking to you, you've been thinking, oh, but what about this? But you don't know my circumstances. You don't know what my situation is like, and that is true. I don't. Uh, And it leads me to my second point. God makes family foundational, but we make family a mess. God makes family foundational, but we make family a mess. As I uh, approach this, I'm very aware that there is a mess in all of our families, and that for some of us this morning, that is very raw and very real. And I want to tread carefully with you. You ever played um, that game, Happy Families, a card game where you collect together different members of family? Um, you've got the bakers and the candlestick makers and so on. Uh, the name of that game is a lie. There are no perfect families. Uh, no perfectly happy families. Uh, by and large, there, there are two reasons why our families are a mess. First is looking at parents. Uh, we abuse authority. We abuse authority. God gives authority to parents and, and to others, uh, not for them to use for their own ends, to be dictators and authoritarians, uh, but ultimately to serve and do good to those who are underneath them. Uh, that's how Christ uses his authority. He came not to lord it over us, uh, but to serve and to save us. Think about the prime minister, the man with the most authority in our country. Uh, his name literally could translate the first minister. So the truth of John T. He is uh, a servant. Sorry, first servant. Prime minister, first servant. John T. He is a servant. I am technically a trainee servant. Uh, but parents are sinful, aren't they? Uh, we all are. Uh, they don't always use their authority rightly. And that can affect and change how we respond and honour them. <coughs> let me try and give you a few examples. I'm going to try them carefully. And let me say, if these apply to you in particular, um, what I am able to say from the front uh, will not cover the situation sufficiently. And I encourage you to go to the elders, uh, Matt, John T, uh, Peter, to talk about it. Um, but parents who are uh, unbelievers... Some of us think that's true for us. In matters of faith and practice, you must obey God rather than men. If you say, don't go to church, you're not obliged to obey them. You can go to church. Don't marry a Christian, you're still free to marry a Christian. Our parents who counsel, counsel you to take a path that is clearly unwise or sinful, let me say that clearly, and you may need to seek advice from others to know whether it is or not. Again, you're not obliged to do it. And they do not have the authority to make you do what is sinful. Or more seriously for some of us this morning, and, and the stats don't, don't lie on this, there will be some of us this morning, I think, uh, who will fall into this camp, who have been um, in a situation where their parents would have been abused or neglected. And let me say to you, you do not honour them by submitting to that, uh, by bowing down before them by allowing them to continue in their ways. And let let me again say, I don't have the wisdom to counsel you on it. Uh, Go to the elders on that. So we abuse authority. And that's one thing that makes family messy. Uh, But we refuse authority as well. Now the Lord's commands, particularly the Ten Commandments, 
uh, prick us, uh, where it hurts the most. And one thing that's clear, absolutely clear in society, is that we hate authority, the rebellious teenager who won't listen, the citizen who, who parades up and down the street with a sign, not my president, uh, even though he is their president, the hearts uh, within us that harden that the words in Scripture submit uh, to your husband. We hate uh, authority. And that, of course, is an issue of pride. We are not meek and lowly. If you know uh, the poet uh, William Henley, uh, he wrote uh, those words quoted by, I think, Nelson Mandela. Uh, very famously, it's quoted by Nelson Mandela in Evictus. Don't know whether he did it in real life. Um, words go, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. We go, yes! I like that. I will enthrone myself. I'll do it my way. No one directs me apart from me and perhaps sometimes God uh, when I feel generous and allow him to. And this command comes to us, doesn't it? This is why it's so difficult and so sensitive. It pierces our pride. You are created by God, not as a king over everything, but by and large under, under, under authority, particularly under God's authority, but you delegate it to others, parents, church, state specifically. And we think the life of blessing will be found in taking control of our own life, refusing authority put over us. But the life of blessing is actually learning to submit and honour those put over you. It's important to say, isn't it, that the sin, the mess in our families, does not excuse duty. God knows we are sinful. God knows our parents are sinful. There are no happy families in Scripture to whom the commands are first given. And yet he still commands us, honour your parents. And yes, sin makes it complicated, makes it difficult. And there'll be, for some of us, moments and places where it's hard to see all the right thing to do. And we need to seek wisdom in them. Uh, but actually, for a lot of us, um, we know full well how we are meant to honour our parents. We just don't want to do it. Uh, and now, of course, in our mess, um, because of our messy hearts, because our parents are messy, uh, this law alone would crush us, wouldn't it? Um, but the law doesn't come to crush us. It comes, actually, uh, ultimately, from the mouth of the Lord Jesus. Uh, it comes, uh, in Exodus we see it, it comes clothed in the gospel. And uh, it brings me to my final uh, point. God makes family foundational. We make family a mess. Jesus makes family new. Jesus makes family new. Now uh, listen carefully. Listen carefully. We are made, we are made to be sons and daughters. That is who we are uh, by nature. Uh, but I'm not talking primarily of our natural parents. I'm talking spiritually. If you go to the genealogy of Jesus in Luke uh, chapter 3, uh, and go to Seth, he's the son of Adam, uh, the first man. And Adam, Adam is the son of God. That is, is his identity. It's true for all of us. God is our true father, our real father. Our earthly parents are actually only ever imitators of him. And so there's a sense in which parents are meant to be raising their children and not to belong to them, but to belong to him. 
And we see that a little bit in Deuteronomy chapter 6, why I read it out. Uh, you see that God wants generation after generation of uh, Israelites, or of the church, to fear him. Verse 2, you and your son, your son's son. Uh, but look down to verse uh, 4. What does he say? He said, love the Lord your God of all your hearts and of all your soul and of all your might. So do what? Raise your children to know God's commands. You'll teach them diligently to your children. Talk to them as you sit in the house. Walk by the way. As you walk by the way, as you lie down and you rise up, bind them uh, to your hands. Put them as frontlets to your eyes. You should write them on doorposts of your house, on your gates. What was the message? Uh, ultimately, and pretty true for Christians today, living in the new covenant, uh, God is your true father and you're being raised to belong to him that generation after generation replaces one another honoring god as their true father now at the fall genesis chapter three the very opposite thing happened didn't it adam god's son acting in a way that was very the very opposite of how a son should act he ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil god commanded him not to but he did it he raised his fist in lofty rebellion against God as father, and the world has followed in his footsteps, acting not as sons, but as enemies, acting as those who have been and have become alienated from the God who they're meant to be sons of, despising him, rebelling against him, denying him, denying that he even exists, forsaking him. So what does Christ do when he comes, when he makes a new family. He does what Adam failed to do. Adam disobeyed his father at a tree, at a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and all mankind was lost. Uh, but Christ comes, and he obeyed his father at a tree, the cross, and all mankind was saved. Jesus lived as the perfect son of God, always submissive to his father's will. The only one who has the right to take the name son of God upon him. We are proud and rebellious by nature, but he was meek and submissive. And what he offers in salvation is that by his blood to bring us into his family, the new family of the church. And if you're a Christian today, that is what he's done for you. You're in Christ's family, saved by his blood. And let me say, if you're not a Christian today, I don't know all of you, if you're not a Christian, that is what he wants for you. That is what he's done for you. He's made a new family and welcomes you to it if you'll have him. And he has brought men and women under the loving kindness of God to know him as their father. So our natural, our natural family, family in this world, is foundational, as I laboured earlier, but not forever, but not forever. Just as we saw last week, the earthly Sabbath is to prepare us for the heavenly Sabbath that we find in heaven. So actually there's a sense in which I think that the earthly family is to prepare us ultimately for the heavenly family that we find today and now in the church and ultimately perfected in eternity. So as I finish, and I bring this to a close, let me, let me finish by offering three implications for us this morning, particularly if you're a Christian, uh, what that means for us. Uh, the first is, that, is this, that Jesus' family relativizes the natural family. Jesus' family relativizes the natural family. 
uh, it comes in importance above uh, your biological family. That is so clear in the Gospels for Jesus himself, isn't it? When his mother uh, and brothers uh, come to him, he's preaching and he's teaching God's people. They say, where are you? You come to us. What does Jesus say? He says, where are my mother and brothers? Uh, Here they are, uh, God's uh, family. (coughs) Uh, Which is pretty good news for us if our families are, are particularly broken. There's a, fa- a new family that Christ has made for you. It's very important to realise that doesn't mean that your biological, natural family is um, forgotten. Again, Jesus shows that to us. He, he cares for his mother and father all the way to the cross. Uh, and he, when he hangs on the cross, what does he say to his apostle John? He says, and he hangs on the cross, dying for the sins of the world. What does he say to the apostle John? Uh, Behold your mother, about his own mother. And he care for her and look after her. Natural family is relativized by Jesus' family. Secondly, natural family is redeemed by Jesus' family. Not only within the grace of the church and the love of God, can families hope to find happiness in their mess and to ask for and to seek forgiveness. And actually, one of the ways, one of the major ways it does that is when you become a Christian is that your family stops being the center, the idol for which you live for. When that happens, family will always be uh, twisted and distorted. Uh, but in Jesus' family, here in the church, uh, our natural families find their proper place. And lastly, to finish off, um, our natural family is meant to be reflected in Jesus' family. The church is meant to look and feel as a family does. Think of the relationships within your natural uh, family. Children uh, to parents, brother, brothers to sisters, grandchildren to grandparents. Their men are overflowing here uh, in the church. There's a sense in which those relationships are meant to be preparing you uh, for life uh, in God's family. And so it'd be wonderful, wouldn't it, to see that increasingly happen here at Christ Church? For older men and women to be treated by youngers as fathers and mothers, and for children to come to church and find many other spiritual fathers and mothers, for parents to know their children will be loved and cared for just as they love and care for their children, and to be able to find in our congregation brothers and sisters that we never knew we wanted until we had them, uh, to be a church where needs are noticed, and met, where forgiveness comes freely and often, where, where mutual love, and respect, and generosity, and trust flourish. Amen. Let it be so. Let me pray. Well, sometimes how your word comes to us. And appears are heavy. And forgive me for places which I've done that uh, this morning. Uh, it commands and strikes to the core of our hearts. Uh, and that can be good. It can be healthy for us. I pray that where uh, we do not honour our parents, uh, you convict our hearts uh, and give us grace uh, to uh, repent and reform, Lord. Uh, well, thank you so much, uh, Lord Jesus, for your gospel that you come to us. Not weighing us down with commands, but welcoming us into a new family uh, full of grace and mercy and forgiveness, which can transform our lives 
uh, whatever they've been like uh, with our parents and our families previously, uh, can transform us and give us uh, the grace we so desperately need. I praise you uh, for who you are and for what you do for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.